Welcome everybody to Renaissance Church's online service. My name is Jessica Rice. I'm here with Jordan Rice, and we're so glad that you're here. Before we kick things off today, let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this opportunity to just make time and space to hear from you. God, I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and uh, that we would make room for you to come in and reign and uh, help us to follow you wherever you may lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, everybody. So it is Valentine's Day, February 14th. And I know some of you probably have the chocolates and flowers on deck. Some of you maybe have a COVID bay that you got. I'm not mad at you. No judgment, no judgment. No judgment. And I mean, some of you might be tired parents like me who had to scramble and get a whole bunch of Valentine's cards for your kids' classmates this week. Um, and still, some of you might be like a G. you like, who needs love? Not me. That's cool, too. Some of you might be trying to ignore this day altogether. And hey, I hope you will stick around because I think we've got some really good things to talk about wherever you find yourself. Um, so let's get into it. Jordan. Yes. How do you feel about Valentine's Day? Uh, I kind of hate it. Not because of you or anything like that, but I have this thing where like whenever I know that something is obligated for someone to do something for me, like it doesn't feel genuine. So like if you got me candy, it's like, well, I could have gone to the bodega and got my own Snicker bar or Reese's. But the other part about Valentine's Day that I hate is like I hate the Western version of love, which is like this this soulmate. I'll find this person and, and they'll complete they'll complete me version of love. And I just think that it robs us of like the real version of what love is. Um, for those of you who know our story, you know that we're both widowed. We lost our first spouses and. You know, I've been madly in love multiple times in my life where I found someone who I was deeply in love with and, and grateful for. And I don't know, it's just a big lie that someone will complete your life. And if something were to ever happen to me, I want you to grieve and then, you know, put your party boots back on after a little bit and get out there and meet someone else. And I hope that they make you really happy because, you know, I'm not I'm not the completion of your life. I'm just a chapter. And hopefully it's a long chapter. So I guess I hate this like one person soulmate version of, of, of love that Western society tells us exists. What about you? Uh, you know, I think I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm not really so high on the whole romantic component of Valentine's Day. But I do appreciate a celebration of love in its many different forms. Um, when I think back on my life, I mean, obviously we're married now, but I have had a whole range of Valentine's days. They've spanned from, you know, 17 year old me who was going on a date with some guy because my friend liked his friend and I was the one who had to tag along to like complete the whole scenario uh, to being 25 and very much young in love and getting the flowers and the chocolates to being 27 and finding myself widowed and alone and not sure what the future would hold for me and if I even wanted to be in love again, uh, to now where I'm certainly crazy about you, uh, but I also find ways that 
my life is so much more enriched with relationships outside of a romantic one, right? Like, you know that meeting with other girlfriends of mine, friends is so important to me and gives me so much life. So I'm, I'm excited that we're here today to kind of reframe some things around Valentine's Day and hopefully kind of open up the perspective of what love is all about. Yeah. It's really opportunity. Uh, that's what Valentine's give, Valentine's Day gives us, I think, is a real opportunity to talk about love and uh, what it really truly is. And also, I think it's a big opportunity for a lot of people to finally notice some things that are going on in their internal world that they would not have wanted to pay attention to the other 364 days of the year. So one of the things that, um, and I, I critique the church a lot because I'm a, I'm a part of it. Uh, so I left my, my job to start a church. I'm a big fan of the church, but I critique it because I think we could be a whole lot better. And I think one of the biggest failings of the Western American church is this inability to pay attention to difficult human emotions. So we do everything we can do to stuff things down, to push things aside, and uh, we are left without tools to like really navigate disappointment. So there's that one scripture that everybody can memorize in the Bible, John 11:35. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And I was thinking about that scripture this morning and like, what does it say that when God came into humanity, that he felt the depth of human expression, the depth of human emotion so much that Jesus was shoulder bop crying, weeping. Like the completion, like the, the fullness of God dwelling in humanity when he came to earth, when, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. And I'm afraid that too many people, too many Christians, we over-spiritualize it. Some of us drown it in alcohol or Netflix or entertainment or distraction, but we, we really don't do grief and loss well. And for some people, today is a strange opportunity for them to really enlarge their souls, as Pete Scazzaro says, through grief and through loss. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, by Charles Spurgeon, and he says something that I've been struggling to actually put into practice in my own life. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the, the rock of ages. And when we have difficulty in life, whether that's in just really bad unmet expectations or whatever the, the case is, that that is actually an opportunity to be thrown against the rock of ages in our life. And I think that it's a huge opportunity for us to grow through, through grief and loss. And there's a couple of things about grief and loss that are, are so vital. One, one of my favorite quotes, by a woman named Donna Pisani. She said, if you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. Like if you never heal from the disappointments, the hurts, the unmet expectations, you're gonna end up bleeding on people who didn't cut you. And I'm, I know I'm guilty of this, where I'm bleeding out on people who didn't cut me. And all of us, we need tools on how do we navigate life's inevitable disappointments that come our way, single, in a relationship, in a situationship, whatever it is that you're in, all of us are gonna face real disappointments. Whenever I talk to couples who are doing premarital counseling, um, one of the questions I ask people is, have you ever experienced a real disappointment in your relationship? And then how did you deal with it? Because all of us in our relationships are gonna deal with disappointments. Some of us deal with disappointments from not being in the ideal situation that we want to be in. Other of us, others of us will experience just the real disappointment of that and we need to pay attention to what's going on inside of our world 
to be more like Jesus and to really to grieve, to, to grieve the losses that we have. And I think that's an underformed practice in the American church is this concept of grief and loss. And how do we process the things that we are experiencing? So I do a couple of things um, that I think everybody, every person who wants to follow Jesus needs to do if you ever want to grow to be um, an emotionally and spiritually mature uh, Christian uh, to grieve all of my losses. Um, the first thing is we need to we need to pay attention to it. So we are masters at over-spiritualizing stuff, at minimizing things, at distraction. Um, sometimes Netflix is good. Sometimes we use it just to drown out the sorrow, the sorrow that we might have. But we, we have to be intentional to pay attention to the, the sadness we have, the fears that we have. Uh, you know that one of the things that I do is um, I'm always afraid of kind of like going too far down a rabbit hole. So I'll set a timer for 10 minutes. And for 10 minutes, I don't let logical Jordan, I don't let faithful Jordan, I don't let scripture quoting Jordan into the room. For 10 minutes, I'll sit down and I'll write down everything about a given situation that makes me afraid. And everything about that situation that makes me sad or, or gives me anxiety. And I get it out and I pay attention to what's going on in my inner world. Number two, I think we need to commit to waiting. And this is super hard for, for me. Anybody from New York, you hate to wait. Um, in our day and age, everything is, is right here, right now. Whenever I see a package on Amazon, it's like a two-day delivery. I'm like, two days? That's, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. Uh, I'll pay like $30 more for the thing that comes tomorrow. But anyway, that's, <laughs> we're not having a counseling session now. Let's not get into that. Let's not. But we need to commit to wait. One of my mentors, you know, Pete Scazzaro, he says, God is not in a rush and waiting on him is life, not just for what he can do for us. Waiting on God is life, and it's a part of the spiritual life of anyone who wants to follow Jesus. And number three, we have to remember that the way that God brings about change and growth in our life is sometimes God, out of the ashes of death and sadness and disappointment, comes what God actually wants to do. That nothing that we are experiencing is meaningless. And actually, the pattern for the New Testament transformation that God wants to give us is the central message of Jesus that uh, suffering and death bring resurrection and transformation. That is a theme that we see over and over and over again in the Bible. And in paying attention to what's going on in my inner world, in committing to wait, and in trusting that God is bringing about new stuff in my life, even in things that are painful and confusing, man, that's been something that's been so helpful for me in terms of just grieving my losses. That is so good. And I think that's such an overlooked part, as you said, when it comes to the conversation of relationships, right? It's all the glitz and the glamour and the engagement photos and the happy moments on social media. And we don't get the space to talk about the real disappointments that even happen in relationships um, or certainly happen if you're wanting to be in a relationship and haven't been able to experience that. So I really appreciate that. I think this is also an opportunity in addition to grieving our losses to really also for all of us who consider this the book that we look to to provide a framework for how we see things and how we live, for this to really be the place we look to to find the definition of love, mm. right? I think we know that the themes of love are all throughout scripture. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say we can't really understand God without understanding how love is captured in this book, because God as we love. know, God is love, right? And so 
we certainly see in scripture that God's love is not the Cupid with the arrow type of love. Um, we also see that it's not the Western world's kind of love. Like I love French fries because they make my taste buds happy and you love those sneakers along with several others that you have at home because of the compliments that you get when you wear them. You got to stay fly. <laughs> okay. So, and you know, hopefully you love Jesus more than the sneakers. I do. I think so. We hope so. Anyway. Uh, and you know, we know people who might say they love Harlem and as mm. you dig a little Talk bit deeper, it. it's more about the fact that they get cheaper rent in Harlem than maybe an apartment downtown. Mm. So I think however you look at it, the way that love gets thrown around, it's often from a very self-centered perspective. It's often all about things that please me, things that make me feel good, uh, you know, things that bring me pleasure. Um, And when you think about it, you know, I think the whole world is set up in this way. Um, So it's not necessarily our fault that we are very self-seeking when it comes to everything that we interact with. You know, we've been told that we should have our own dreams, we should have our own personal truth, we should have uh, our own conveniences, we should have our packages in 24 hours. And so it's no wonder that we also often look at the people that we interact with and feel like those people should fall in line with our agendas and should serve our self-interests. I think it's interesting as we get to lead in a church that we oftentimes encounter people maybe in our community who start dating somebody new, they've got the googly eyes, they're feeling great, they tell us about this new person, they're excited and we ask, oh, that's so great, what do you love about him or her? And sometimes the answer is, well, you know, I love how much he or she makes me laugh and how they listen to me so well and that we love so many of the same things and that they have this really awesome career. And we often leave those conversations just sometimes wanting to ask, okay, well, do you truly love him or her or do you love the way that person makes you feel? Mm. Um, Do you really love him or her? Or do you love the fact that they're going to present well to mom and dad Mm. if you bring them home uh, or make you look Look good? Look good on the Instagram feed. Look good on the Instagram feed. Exactly. And, you know, add on to all of this, I think we've all watched enough movies and TV shows where somebody meets the one, as you talked about, who completes them, right? And we have that notion in our minds and are constantly trying to combat that. We also even have the church that in the past 100 years has often held marriage up as this ultimate goal and has even treated it as this ultimate shortcut to discipleship, Mm. as if as soon as you get married, you get sanctified overnight and more like Jesus as soon as you say, I do. So there's a lot of challenges. I don't know if you think of any others that come to mind. I think that a lot of times because of all of that, we think that like love just is like really flimsy. It's transactional. It's not substantive. It doesn't have any real power. So to have your, your concept of love formed in that way, 
when we say like, yo, God loves you, we just, we misunderstand the power, the liberating power, the commitment, the depth, Mm -hmm. the transformative power of what love is. And really one of my hopes in life is that we help to rescue terms like love or Mm -hmm. concepts in scripture from cultural captivity so that people can see the beauty of what they are. And love is one of those things. Uh, In Maya Angelou's uh, book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, she talks about her own life and how love in her life was something that wasn't just a nice thing that she had, but something that liberated her. Her story was really, really sad. When she was seven, she was sexually assaulted. And she told on the person who did it, and that man was killed. And for the next five years, she was mute. And Maya Angelou tells it in her extremely brilliant way of how she was liberated by a woman named Mrs. Flowers, who every single Tuesday would make her coffee and tea and cookies and would pour and invested so much in her. And eventually it was the love of Mrs. Flowers that liberated her and turned her into the literary force that we are grateful to have received today. And long before Miss Flowers was investing in people and loving people, God has been in the business of transforming people, not by something flimsy, but by deep commitment, self-sacrificing, um, corruption evicting love, um, truth-telling love. And we have to reclaim that word for us today. I love that. And that's a perfect segue to talk more about what is the biblical version of love that we should be focused on today, Valentine's Day, every day of the year. What does that look like? Yeah, well, there's a couple of scriptures that I want us to, to look at today. The first is 1 John 4, 9 and uh, 10 and 11. And this is just one of the the scriptures that, like, when I, when I need a pick-me-up, when I need something to meditate on, this is one of the ones that I do and turn to. It says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must, we also must love one another. Mm -hmm. And I think about just how John, the apostle is writing this about what is biblical love? Biblical love is always expressed, not in the warm and fuzzies. Mm It's expressed through self-sacrifice. So anything that you love, like for real, that you truly love, you will sacrifice for. Mm. Um, for your kids, for your family, um, for my sneakers, I'll sacrifice for the things that that, that I love. <laughs> but one of the things I was, you know, you and I have very different approaches to our to our to our kids. When my when Jameson was was born, our oldest was born. The first thing I felt when I looked at him was, oh, I would gladly, like lay out in the middle of of traffic for him. Like I would gladly take a thousand bullets for him. My immediate thought wasn't like warm and fuzzies. It was like protection. And it was also, man, I would sacrifice anything for this kid. And certainly same thing for, for Josiah. And I think biblical love, we see it, that it is, it's this one way thing. Jameson hadn't done anything for me at that point. Mm -hmm. Biblical love is a one way love. And this is what God, this is what God is telling us. It's not because you loved him. Mm -hmm. Romans five and six says uh, five and six says that when the time was right, God sent his son to die while we were still sinners. God gave us Jesus. 
And this is the good news of the gospel. That is not this. I have to I have to measure up so that they'll swipe left or swipe right on on me. But that God's love for us is a pursuing one way love that draws us in. And we eventually come to love him because he first loved us. And not only that, but there's another scripture that says that uh, we are fully known. Mm-hmm. And the beauties of that are, are something that I still don't fully comprehend. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 12, it says, for now we see only ref- a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. That God knows us fully. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to hold parts of our, our lives back from him, but that God truly knows us fully. One of my favorite authors uh, and mentors, Tim Keller, he says like this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Come through, Tim. Come through. So he says three things in this that I think I I want us to to end on today. What, What God's love does to us. Number one, it liberates us from pretense. Number two, it humbles us out of our self centeredness. And number three, it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Yes and liberates us from pretense. Those are some big words. The way I really think about it is is he's deep, deeper than us for sure. Uh, But what I think that really means is just that we so often uh, experience fear when it comes to showing people Mm. our true selves. Uh, We see it all the way back in the garden that we hide ourselves when we feel like we come up short and we haven't done things right and we don't measure up. And so to know that we are fully known and fully loved, I think it really helps us to not feel the pressure to pick and choose which parts of us will allow others to know. Mm. Uh, And that works in all kinds of relationships. That works in friendships, that works in romantic relationships, Mm. marriages. It's amazing how many, I think, marriages even have people who are very afraid to just show themselves, to be vulnerable, and it manifests as anger when it's truly hurt or fear or insecurity. Um, But the beautiful thing is when we are anchored, I think, vertically with God, like to know that I am fully known Mm. and fully loved, the awesome thing is that it begins to flow out horizontally, right? That if I, in fact, experience this love of being fully known, flaws and all, and still loved, I can know your flaws and still find ways to love you well. And I can let you in on all my insecurities and flaws and trust that you will continue to love me well. And and again, I don't speak about this just in romantic terms and in our marriage. I mean this for the church at large, right? In Christian community of all places, this is the indictment against the church that people feel this pressure of needing to show up already clean, already put together, uh, not needing assistance and not being real. Mm. And what a shame if 
you can't come to church and show the true self and trust that there are people who are angered in Christ, who know that they are fully known, fully loved, and therefore they have the ability, the example of how to know you and love you well. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, it also just is so, so humbling. I think about, you know, the people in my life that I'm so fortunate to have, uh, family members and and the kids and stuff like that. And I think about how sad I would be if they thought that they had to like measure up for me to love them. Mm-hmm. Like if they, you know, I have dreams of, of the boys playing for the Knicks. Doesn't look likely so far. Um, that's because the Knicks are not going to be good enough for, for the boys. No. Uh, all the dreams that I've had, you know, starting guard, you know, coming out the tunnel at, at the garden, who knows if these things would ever happen? I seriously doubt it. But if they thought that I, they had to, they had to be that for us, for me to love them, like for real to love them, it would hurt me to to know and to think that they thought that my love for them was dependent on their performance. And I think the love of the gospel tells us, man, we were dead in sin, but God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. It is not for works that you are saved. It is grace. And if we have a flimsy understanding of what love is based on secular culture, man, we won't be able to truly receive this transformative power of, of God that is real love for us, poured out on us. And we see it so so greatly on the cross. We see Jesus going to the cross. And man, one of the stories, uh, the accounts in scripture that I just can never shake, the one that if, if I were to go to a deserted island and not touch a Bible for for 50 years, I would never forget this story where Jesus is carrying his cross up the hill and he's being beaten and mocked and spit on and punched. And they're saying, prophesy to us now, Jesus, who hit you? And he, he looked at them and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And I think about a, a, a God like that. And I, and I see the power of love that is determined to walk to the cross, even with people who are quite literally spitting at him. And that is the type of love that our God has come to pour out on us, not this flimsy love that we see. And that's the type of love that can liberate us um, and can fortify us for anything that life can throw at us. If we have that, what can what can what can separate us from that? As Paul says in Romans eight, can height or depth or, or death or the sword, can anything separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that is our hope. That is my hope. Mm-hmm. that the more I continue to grow as a follower of Jesus, the more we grow as a church, that it'll be rooted and grounded, as Paul says in, in Ephesians, we'll be rooted in, in that type of love. Mm-hmm. So that's my hope for, for us as a church. That's my hope for me um, as, a, as a husband, as a father, and all the things, all the hats that I wear. Mm-hmm. And practically, I just think that if we do have that kind of love here for us, for the person who maybe wants to be in a relationship and isn't mm. and is dealing with that disappointment, that very real, real disappointment, yeah. disappointment, man, isn't there some comfort in knowing that the God who loves you this fiercely mm. has your best interests at heart? Mm. And yes, as you said, we need to grieve those things honestly, but there is something to hold on to that 
your desires are fully known, <laughs> your hurting is fully known and understood. And in all of that, you are fully known and you are fully loved. Um, and for the person who's in the relationship and is also experiencing disappointment, because that's a very real thing too. I think we know so many couples who are experiencing disappointment and we ourselves, you know, experience disappointment in our relationships because we're flawed and and that's what's bound to happen, that there is a God who cares, mm. who is a source outside of this relationship that you're in, mm. that loves you fiercely again, uh, that is the source and anchor of your identity, mm. um, whose uh, love doesn't waver based mm. on mood, circumstance, temperament, mm. um, what great hope we have in that. And it's also a source to actually be a Christian in your relationships. Mm. And by be a Christian, I'm not just saying, you know, don't, don't smoke tobacco, but that you actually forgive people. Mm. You would see the best in people. You would love them well. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't hold things over their head. And I think that's what God's love has the power to do in all of our relationships and inside of us as well. Mm-hmm. To see the beauty of serving others instead of serving ourselves. Mm. Um, to reap the the benefits of serving others instead of ourselves. You know, if you build everything around yourself, you're left with nothing but yourself to speak of. And what kind of life is that? So I'm grateful for the treasure we have in being fully loved and fully known. Mm. All right, J.O., any final thoughts for us about love? One of the most striking things about the disciples was not their intellect, was not their performance. They weren't celebrities in any regard. But when they went around people, people knew that they had been around Jesus. And I hope that we are around Jesus enough in our prayer life, in scripture, that we people would see us and say, oh, you must be a Christian because of the way that you love people, because this is what Jesus said. This is the test. This is the way that people will know that you are my disciples, the way that you actually love people. Um, that's number one. And number two, actually a word of hope for people who are struggling, that it only takes one yes or one day for your life to change forever, um, for your life to change seriously, permanently, and to hold out on hope and to never give up on, on what you're praying for, what you're hoping that God does in your life, because God does answer prayer. Amen. All right, let me pray for us before we head out and get back to worship. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would cement your definition of love into our hearts, into our minds. Father, I'm so grateful that you know me and fully and that you, you love us fully. So, Father, I, I pray that that love transforms me to, to be open and vulnerable and, and real and to also accept other people and to know that um, the power of tr your transformative love that doesn't require people to earn it or to, 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 to measure up before you love them, but knowing that your love changes people. So bless us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.